Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my finest friends. Welcome to a special episode at the end of Season 6 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kevin Brown. Um, this is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. And today's episode uh, is a conversation with my co-host, John Paulson. Um, so after last week's episode... Uh, we were chatting offline a little bit about Pack Up the Plantation and what the plan was on the podcast to do that. So you pitched the idea that, you know what, let's just do an episode and cover it. So I thought that would be a grand idea. And here we are. Yeah, I didn't think you were going to be doing a track by track breakdown of the live album. So this is like, this is a good way to kind of cover it. And it was kind of an important album, I think, in his discography. Uh, certainly for, I mean, I think I, I bought it because it had quite a few hits on it. Yeah. And it was my way, I mean, people forget back in the day, some people forget back in the day, you know, funds are limited for, for CDs. You couldn't just go out and buy or albums. You couldn't just go out and buy whatever you wanted unless you had a lot of money because yeah. the tickets or uh, CDs were very expensive, um, 15 bucks or more sometimes. And so like you had to make some business decisions and one of them was, uh, <laughs> Pack Up the Plantation had quite a few hits on it. It allowed me to dig into his catalog a little bit without having to buy all the albums until I was ready to ready to go ahead and do that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I came to this a lot later, and I do I do have it on vinyl now. So I was wondering, you obviously because with the with the CD version, you're missing two songs. So did you? I mean, I'm assuming you went back and listened on Spotify so that you got the full the full 16 because i know on the um cd you didn't get i need to know or you got lucky that was lp and cassette only oh you're reminding me of that i didn't i don't remember missing those at all so i yeah i've been listening to this uh yeah. spotify version of it so this is the lp version that's on spotify now is that that's what you're saying yeah okay yeah it must be yeah so released in 85 i mean it, it hit number 22 on the us chart which is pretty good for a live album really actually um, yeah, they had a, a couple of singles off of it. Yeah, uh, the the birds cover at the start. Uh, so you want to be a rock and roll star, and I believe Needles and Pins, right, with Steve yeah. Nicks. Um, Needles and Pins again charted at thirty seven, seventeen yeah. on the rock chart, which is again that's pretty awesome. So you want to be a rock and roll star, charted at nine on the rock chart, but didn't chart in the main in the main chart, which again is, I don't know, it's quite unusual. But I think that you know Needles and Pins at least you're getting a bit of Stevie Nicks star power as well in in eighty five probably bumps it up a little bit yeah you're right about the you're right about the uh track listing for the cd didn't realize those two tracks were missing okay so we when we were talking about this um yeah obviously we're not going to go through i'm not going to certainly not going to go through and do a track by track breakdown but i thought what was interesting was going back and listening to a how those songs differed from the album versions which is always a fun thing to go back and do and then also with the covers listening to how different, if much, they were from the original. So that's kind of what I went back and focused on. So I thought what we could do is pick off maybe a couple of um, highlights that we wanted to talk about, uh, and then maybe just sort of run through in really quick order the rest of the track. So what, what if I said to you, what are the three standouts on this album? Which ones would you go for? And I'm kind of pitching this to you with no warning, and I know so you might need a bit of thinking time, but what were the three, what three songs would you pick sort of, well, you know? Definitely number one, I would say, is the live version of Breakdown. This is my favorite live version of Breakdown. Uh, I love uh, the opening where uh, Tom sings the first part of the first uh, verse, and then the crowd takes over, and you can really hear them at the will turn yeah, uh, singing the words pretty clearly and going all the way into the chorus. And you can see how much fun they're having with the band playing basically the song for them while they sing. Yeah. And uh, really, you know, gets crescendos during the chorus because everybody knows the chorus. Of course, you know, some of the fans there didn't know the verses, so they weren't singing <laughs> as loudly. But, you know, you get into the breakdown and they go ahead and give it to me and all that. Uh, and then you even hear the break, breakdown <laughs> at, uh, yeah. at the portion two. And then, you know, they all cheer. And then Tom's like, got the quip, uh, you're going to put me out of a job. Yeah. And they all are cheering, which don't put, you know, let's not put Tom Petty out of a job, please don't cheer his unemployment. <laughs> uh, and uh, then he, what I liked about what he did is he went back a lot of, a lot of artists when the, you know, fans will sing the first verse or two or get in the chorus or whatever, they'll just pick up with the next verse yeah. and skip that first portion. 
but he went back to the second verse and then got back into the chorus. You got to hear that kind of twice, uh, which I think was nice. And that ended up, you know, making it a pretty long song. I mean, it was seven minutes and 43 seconds, but typically when I listen to breakdown, I will listen to this live version. Uh, if I'm in, you know, certainly in the mood for live music, but I, I think this is uh, the best one that was available uh, that he's released. I just love that interaction with the crowd at the start. It's just, it gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Well, it's funny because it's definitely not the longest version, the longest live version of Breakdown that's kicking around, right? I mean, I think the version on official live leg is, that's crazy long. I think that's nine, is it? Where are we? I'm going to look. Oh, no, it's not, on, it's not on live leg, is it? That's right. It, but the one they've got from, oh, the one at the Capitol. I think it was one at the Capitol. That one's around nine minutes, and they don't have a lot of that crowd interaction. But, of course, this was one of those songs where they just vamp, you know, and Tom's doing all the stuff at the end about, you know. Oh, yeah. What's the, what does he sing at the end of that one? Um, yeah, he goes into a great. He, he, you've heard different versions of his yeah. spiel where he's he's like, "I'm going to treat them. I'm an adult situation." This is there you go. I'm that's why this is adult situation. <laughs> uh, that whole part is hilarious too. Thanks for reminding me on that. That that part is great. And then he gets into his ah, and they kind of you know the, the the song sort of concludes after that. I would say uh, after breakdown, the number the number two that really the standout moment for me is insider. Yeah, uh, even though that wasn't recorded at the will turn um it's with stevie nicks and um hearing a live version of those two singing together uh is fantastic and i'd have to think about like maybe what my third highlight it's it's tough because there's a number of hits that are nice to see uh on here and to hear live versions with it. i think maybe needles and pins uh that song has kind of grown on me as i've listened to this album a, a number of times here for this podcast and uh, it's, it's got a, um, I don't know if it's a key change, uh, be, uh, when they say, because I saw her today towards the middle or towards the end. And it's just, a, a Tom does it. I listened to the searchers version of it and, yeah. uh, they're both really effective. And I, I think it's a, it's a song that, uh, you know, maybe it's part of that early British invasion, um, uh, timeline, a really good song that I didn't know that much about prior to, to, you know, re-listening to it a bunch of times today or uh, this week. Yeah. And I mean, those two songs, Insider and Needles and Pins, you can. What I like about this is you can tell that they've not. It's not like Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous, where they've basically just re-recorded most of it in the studio. You can tell this is live off the floor because, especially on Needles and Pins, Stevie's a little bit either side of the needle. She's not like absolutely dead on every part of it, but the soul you get from that, and the, just the way that those two sing together, it's just dynamite, absolute dynamite. Again, you know, you can yeah, see why she wanted to join the band, right? Because she loves singing with Tom Petty. That's so clear. Yeah, and it's not it's not a big surprise that two of my three highlights are the two songs that Stevie Stevie sings on because yeah. it's it's so much fun to listen to them uh sing together live. Well, and the other part is that there's no horns on those ones. <laughs> Which was my own and I'd written that down. That's my only because I think that is the I think that is the sort of the 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 gold standard version of breakdown. The that but the best sort of live version of breakdown we have. So therefore probably the best version of the song. And Stan's drums are immense. When they kick off, you listen. Just listen to the drums next time you're listening to it. How big they are! You know they've really captured Stan, and he's laying into it. Um, but again, that sax solo—it oh, doesn't ruin it. But it's like you don't need that in there, dude. You got Mike Campbell. Let's let him play more. Let him solo. It's the mid '80s. More. It's the mid '80s. The sax know, was huge. Like you can't resist. Well, it's, the, it's the Southern Accent Store, so they've got the horns for the other songs, yeah. right? So I, yeah. I totally get it. But it's like argh, that's that one little, just tiny little fly in the ointment for me. Um, yeah, Needles and Pins is, is fantastic. Like I said, I, when I was listening, to, went back and listened to the original, um, it's a slightly, you know, the live version that Tom does, it's a slightly, I'm going to use the word sloppy, not to be so disparaging about musicianship, but that's it's got a looseness to it. It's a bit more groove rather than sort of that real four on the floor, you know, British invasion type beat. And it, again, it just suits the Heartbreakers so well, you know, and I absolutely love it. But yeah, Insider is but Insider is, if you hadn't chosen that one, I was going to end the call immediately because, again, Stevie is just on fire on that song. That's probably the best I've heard her sing live, to be honest with you. And I've listened to a few Fleetwood Mac live performances and sort of a couple of her, um, when she did the Belladonna tour. I don't think her voice ever sounded better than it did on this record. Yeah, and back to Needles and Pins, uh, Jane, Jack Netsky and Sonny Bono co-wrote that. And then the yeah. Searchers made it, a, I think, was the first one to make it a big hit. Yeah, I think that someone else did it before, did they not? Jackie DeShannon, yeah, she did yes. the first version of it. I think they actually probably wrote it for her then, it would be my guess. So, But you think about that too, right? So Needles and Pins, that's from 64. You know, and you've got the other, the other 
the other um, covers we've gotten here, one's from 59, one's from 66, 67, and then stories we can tell us from 72. But, you know, it's, it's them leaning back into all those early inferences. And I like that they do that. So, you know, a lot of contemporary bands will, if they're going to do a cover, sometimes it'll be a bit more of a recent cover or they'll try and interpret something or whatever. But I like a band that goes back to those old rock and roll staples, which is what Tom and the boys always did if they're going to do covers, right? So you said Insider is one of your uh, highlights. So what yeah. were the other, what would you say the other two were? Also Breakdown, um, but I also think Refugee. I think that again, um, I think that's the best version, best live version I've heard of Refugee. And that's where I think the horns actually on that one do a good job because they really push that ending. It builds that huge crescendo, you know, and you've also got, you know, Ben Monta Mike trading licks in the middle and then they drop everything right out. So that, that version of Refugee to me is just dynamically and sonically is just superb. So those would be my three. So what do you, what did you make of the, we talked about uh, needles and pins. What did you make of the other uh, four? There's four other covers on this, yeah. on this uh, album, live album. Uh, what'd you make of them? Yeah. So, so you want to be a rock and roll star. It's a song that they did actually quite a lot. So I was going to ask you, we were doing little sort of quizzes and things the other, the other week or last week. So, okay. So how many times overall do you think Tom Payne and the Heartbreak has played? So you want to be a rock and roll star? Cause it is in the top five covers that they did live. Quite a bit. I mean, they, I think they were playing it quite a bit in the mid eighties. Uh, I was just looking at that tour in 85. Yeah. Uh, and it, they were playing it in every show. So I don't know, 50 times. 108. Oh, 108 times. It's the, it's the 32nd most played song live for the band, which is, it is interesting. Yeah. And I mean, um, there's another song on this album. that's actually the 24th uh, most played song. So, or joint, joint 24. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like that song. I mean, it's, I miss the birds. I love the birds. Who doesn't love the birds? Right. Um, and they do a good job of it. It is like when you listen to the original version, I think that's Tom not wanting to bugger about too much with that song because he wants to really pay homage to Roger McGuinn and everything. So it, it is a pretty straight cover. Um, again, I think the horns are okay in that one. Um, but I love, um, the big harmony. So you've got Howie, Stan definitely in there and probably Ben Mont as well throwing those harmonies in there. So I think it's, it's a great track. It's a very good album opener. Yeah. And uh, Tom obviously loved the birds. Uh, the, he played this song a lot, but then he covered Feel a Whole Lot Better for yeah. uh, Full Moon Fever. Uh, Mr. Tambourine Man, he did a cover of live. And I know that's a Dylan song, but the, the birds made it famous yeah. and made it their own. Uh, and then he did four covers with Roger McGuinn on the live at Fillmore uh, set four in a row. It won't be wrong. You ain't going nowhere. Truck drug stop truck driving man and eight miles high <laughs> yeah which i think it you know that's just that just shows tom's uh appreciation for mcguinn and how much he liked his music and just liked him as a friend because they got to be very friendly yeah uh after mcguinn i believe heard uh american girl and quip that he when did he record that yeah he yeah the sound vocals just but i mean I, I think it's nice and you look at that whole third disc of the Fillmore, it's all covers yeah. And, you know, when they brought on McGuinn, he didn't just come for one or two. I mean, two is the, the typical, you know, when you have a guest spot, but he came on and played four at yeah. least. And they included four on the on the CD, which I think uh, is a nice tribute to the birds and to Roger McGuinn. Well, man, if you've got Roger McGuinn there, you may as well. You may as well use him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, I mean, they love playing those songs, clearly. So why, why wouldn't you? So I guess, you know, the next one on the to talk about then is Don't Bring Me Down. Um, which was originally by the animals. And I think, yeah, that one was in, that was released originally in 66. One of the best years in history because England won the world cup in 1966. So the year I always like, so, you know what? I was listening to that. And again, it's not a song that I listen to a lot. Um, and going back to it, it's like, yeah, of course I know it because I've listened to the animals growing up, but it kind of reminds me, there's a key change in that one where it really reminds me of sharp dressed man. There's that that big step up key change, and it's it's still it's just C F and G, but it's it's when they go to G, it really reminds me of that. But there's also that bit of where Stan's playing the the kick and the snare at the same time. That's kind of got that born to run, uh, born to be wild feel to it. So there's these weird little crossover elements that come in, but it's you know again, it's it's a pretty faithful cover. But when it was recorded, it was recorded in '78. Can you imagine how much that would have taken the roof off? Eh? Yeah, just amazing. It is. It's a it's a banger. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the, the highlights of it. 
that one was at the Paradise Theater. You mentioned that's that was the first song that was recorded that ended up on this album in terms of the oldest song. Yeah. Um, and you know the animals. I think you you're looking at a lot of this kind of '60s garage rock, uh, British invasion type stuff, and you can really see how Tom was uh, influenced by it. Absolutely. You know more so than maybe the Allman Brothers, who he was you know around in terms of yeah the south and the biggest the biggest thing in the south he was really influenced by these you know wildly different uh you know bands like the the birds i mean it's kind of california yeah. folk rock and then the animals as well uh this is a i'm sure this is a great one to see live they did a great job with it when i was looking at the set list from that gig 15 songs or sorry 13 songs five covers so they did it so they opened anything that's rock and roll fooled again I need to know. Don't bring me down is the fourth track. You're gonna get it. Breakdown. American Girl. Stranger in the Night. Too much ain't enough. And then they finish with four covers. So shout. I fought the law. Route sixty six and Amy King B. So man, I mean that's just totally balls out rock and roll. That was from seventy eight then that yep. show. Yeah. So that you know that was they had two albums out at that point, right? Or they had one album out plus they worked on they're gonna get it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so they didn't have a whole lot to pull from, but they. Uh, maybe they were getting sick of some of their songs they had to play for their for their yeah. set over and over again. Decided to start playing a lot of covers. They always played a lot of covers. I mean, I think that you know, fifteen or so times I saw him play, they played at least two covers, if not more, in every set. Yeah. And this is for these are for you know arena amphitheater crowds. So they weren't they weren't uh, shying away from that playing for their uh, big audience. So yeah, I, th I think the next cover is. You know, again, in the in the in the Pettyhead fandom, shout is just one of those that is a quintessential live cover, right? It's one that you would love to see live. What I would say, maybe though, and I'll probably get battered for this one is, I think it's only one of the ones that one of the only ones that it doesn't work quite as well when you just listen to the recording as opposed to if you're watching it live or watching a DVD because it's very performative because it's a really simple song. You know, and it's, it's it's just a big jam song. It's a great arrangement, and it's just a band having fun, but some of that doesn't always come. It's the same reason I don't listen to a lot of funk. Funk's great when you're watching it live and you can see the band interacting. A 10, 15-minute jam, I don't know. It doesn't always carry quite as well just on record. What do you think about that? And how long was this uh, track? It looks nine, like it was 9.33. Nine yeah. yeah, so they they really got into it. And, you know, when I listen to it, I think it's kind of a a show-off song. And yeah. I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way but they're just they're showing how well they can play they can it's it really speeds up and showing that they can play really fast yeah and it's uh you know it's just kind of a hardcore uh rocker and uh rock soul song so you know just showing showing their chops i think uh and it does get the crowd involved it, it oh yeah they, they take it down uh they come back you know come back up you yeah. i mean i've seen a few different bands perform it and this is definitely one of the better uh, cover versions i think that the, the heartbreakers could actually keep up with uh with the song pretty well well again it's, it's another song that one of the notes i'd written down is if you go back and listen to stan's drumming on this it's just it's peak stan lynch like he's just ferocious when he's when he's in those faster sort of uh sections of the song he's just laying into those tubs and everyone describes him as a power drum and i always kind of bristle a little bit at that because he's a very nuanced drum as well when he needs to be but on something like this, yeah, it's just full steam. He's full Dave Grohl mode, you know, <laughs> or Dave Grohl's the Stan Lynch mode, maybe. Yeah, that one was at uh, what Richfield uh, Coliseum in '83, so they, they yeah. must have really liked this recording to go back and uh, grab it and put it back on this this album. And we can talk about the selections here and how they're bouncing around, and so most of it is from the from the Will Turn, but then they, you know, they yeah. added the two Stevie songs from the Forum. Uh, it, well, we'll get into that in a second. What about yeah. the stories we could tell? What do you think of that uh, I mean, album closer? I just love that song. It's so warm and happy and mellow. And, you know, that fiddle in the middle, like, you know, it's, it's def again, quite different to the original um, in that they have that fiddle intro um, and it's a harmony thing. So I, I, I would be stand on harmonies too, because obviously how he wasn't with the band then. Um, and it's just a great vocal part. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a nice, gentle folk song right so i don't know that i would necessarily close with that in a concert however um i'm sure that you're you're aware that when the dirty knobs toured and stan filled in on drums there were at least two dates where 
the end, that was the last song they would play and Mike would just come out and they would do it acoustic. So Mike would play and Mike and Stan would sing stories we could tell. So I think that's a nice nod back to this period in the Heartbreakers um, uh, career, which I thought was really, really sweet. Yeah, and I would say the lyrics really fit what they're going for at the end of a show yeah. too, because those two had played together so long and the stories they could tell. Uh, and, you know, it was written by John Sebastian. He did a, of the Love and Spoonful. He did a, a version of it. And then the Everly Brothers. This one sounds a little bit more like the Everly Brothers version. I was listening to all three today. Definitely. And that's like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't realize who covered the song, you know, initially until I <laughs> dug into this. I'm not like, look, I wasn't looking for that information yeah. until we had to do it. I had to speak intelligently about it. <laughs> um, but my, it's another connection with my parents. My parents were, uh, my mom especially was a big Everly Brothers fan or is a big cool. Everly Brothers fan. And, uh, you know, I, we talked about the Johnny Cash connection uh, on a previous episode with my dad. And uh, it's pretty cool that, uh, that Petty covered an Everly Brothers song, uh, even though maybe it was written by John Sebastian first. Really country uh, folk vibe to it i mean i think you said yeah. folk uh i got a country twangy uh vibe from it but it, 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 a nice real nice track to close the album i think yeah super cool i only just noticed that every artist that they covered in on this album uh it starts with the so it's the everly brothers the isley brothers the animals the searchers and the birds interesting i don't is that a coincidence yes it is probably yeah <laughs> yeah super cool i mean i I think they're they were good covers to pick, and obviously we don't know what else is out there. I would have loved to have seen maybe um, a really clean version of Jagger and Thunderbird, the Chuck Berry track that they, they used to do quite a bit uh, in the early days, because that's a great song too. Uh, maybe it doesn't fit quite as well um, into the set list because that's a really sort of well, it's a straight Chuck Berry tune, right? Which is why Mike Campbell plays it so bloody well because um, he's got all those Berry bends down absolutely pat. But it would be kind of curious to see what else was kicking around yeah from that sort of the coliseum show or their again man that hammersmith audience show in 80 I, I'm, I'm wondering if they've got that whole because they must have the whole thing or at least a lot of it that'd be a great live album to release later and if, especially if they had video of it that'd be fantastic to see them playing in 80 in in the uk it seemed like they recorded a lot of their shows if they're even back then pulling stuff from different yeah. years and different tours um I guess it's a good time to get into like what the purpose of this album was supposed to be, what it kind of turned into. I mean, it seemed like they, they did back-to-back -back shows at the Will Turn. I looked at that 85 tour and, you know, a lot of times bands will do that. They'll, they'll have two or three dates at a, at one venue that they can control. They'll record all three yeah. and then they'll pick, and then this, you know, the crowd kind of sounds the same because it's the same venue. Uh, they do the same set list. So the energy sort of the same going through each track. Right. And then they'll pick the best version of those three from those three shows to come up with their live show. Yeah. And it's not usually, you know, sometimes they'll do one night, but I don't think a lot of bands do that these days. They tend to do at least two because uh, there's some mistakes on this. If you It's just risky. To, it's really yeah. risky. If you just do one night, like it's, you, then you're at the whim of it. Like even something could happen, a mic could drop out. Someone's guitar could get unplugged. There's all sorts of things that could happen with reasons why you don't do that, right? Yeah, there's a few of the, and when I say mistakes are made, it's not with the playing, but there's a few, uh, you know, feedback spots yeah. in, in a couple of the, the songs from the Will Turn shows. I think Refugee has one of them. And now that's totally fine if you're listening to a, you know, here is a one night snapshot from, uh, from this tour or yeah. you know, this is what we, you know, we wanted to play. So you, you kind of embrace the, the little quirks that you're going to hear when you go to see a show, like, cause you, you know, you're going to hear feedback, feedback usually in one song and every show, yeah. no matter where you go. Yeah, of course. Um, but when you're trying to compile a bunch of different live versions of songs into this became kind of a, it doesn't surprise me a whole lot coming off of Southern accents, it became kind of an amalgamation of their, live show at this time and some of these songs they weren't even playing on this particular tour so yeah. it is an interesting uh set list from that standpoint i think it's it was nice that they put the the two stevie nicks songs on there i think they recognized how good those were they wanted to release yeah. them and they probably had a few other versions here that they wanted to to get these out there and maybe with it, maybe they weren't happy with what they got from the the entirety of the set from the will turn show i basically guarantee it yeah i mean that's that thing of because they only, well, because it's the 7th, right? 7th of August, because I think they played the Wilton 7th and 8th, maybe, yep. or 6th. Or 6th and 7th. 6th and 7th, yeah. So 
you've not recorded both, so maybe the version of, let's say, um, Don't Do Me Like That, which doesn't appear on the album, but they played live that night, or Spike or Don't Come Around Here No More. Maybe something about it just didn't quite land, and when they're going through, say, well, that's not us at our best, and let's not put that one on, right? So I that's And I think that happens with every, every act, right? I mean, especially because a band like this is playing two hours, you're not fitting all those songs onto the disc anyway. So then you can be a little bit more selective and you can say, okay, well, what's the best representation? Like you said, this was the first full live album. Let's make it roughly representative what a, a Heartbreakers concert experience feels like. And I think that's why we get so many covers and why the, you know, there's these other things thrown in. That's what I, I suspect anyway. Yeah. And I can see why they did what they did. And if you listen to the album, uh, you can tell that they're a great live band. I mean, I think you, you know, just the per- person that doesn't know Tom Petty very well, maybe they know Refugee and another hit or something, and they turn this on. They're like, oh, I, I, I think I want to see them live. And they yeah. sound really good live. So I think that the album served its purpose for, from that standpoint. I, I do wonder, like, you know, why live albums are released at certain points in, in their career, in, you know, artist careers. This yeah. is after, I believe, six albums. So it's a, a great opportunity to get a bunch of the hits in front of people that maybe are new fans, but to in a, in a way that they're still going to want to go back and get the studio versions. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of these record companies don't want, you know, their, their artists to put out, especially in the mid eighties to put out an album that has all the hits on it Yeah, because they're cannibalizing their old discography, but doing it on a live album. And you'll, you'll see, as I get into my producers here today, like you can really, uh, put out like uh, the best of, yeah. but have it be a live album, and you're not cam- cannibalizing your your old uh, in, in anything in any respect. You're probably going to end up driving more sales to some of those studio versions that people want to hear. It works on all levels, right? Because, like you said, you, you're getting a new product out there that hardcore fans want, but then you're also hitting a market where you might pick up some of those more casual fans. Uh, Queen did that brilliantly too with Live Killers. I remember sitting with Live Killers and I started listening to, you know, picking up other albums and thinking, well, what, what album's that off? Go find that in my dad's collection and listen to that because that's a great track. Dreamer's Ball from Jazz or something. It's not, you're not going to appear that on a Greatest Hits thing, but it's a good way of sort of pushing people gently into these uh, into these different areas, right? So, and the song's on there. So I'll, I'm just looking through the track list. Um, there are also, there's a couple of songs at least on there that weren't released as singles, right? So It Ain't Nothing To Me, Rocking Around With You, Insider wasn't, obviously. Southern Accents wasn't. Um, so yeah, there's, 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 they've got you know the big big hits that you you need. You've got to put American Girl on there. You got to put Breakdown on there, um, Refugee. But then they've sort of introduced a few more of these things in there. So I think it's yeah, it's a it's an interesting set list. Um, very different from the original gig though, right? So should we talk about that a little bit, maybe? Sure. So they open with American Girl, and that's the thing you can you can sort of tell the when they get to American Girl on the record, which is the fifth track. You can tell that that's not sequence in the middle of a show it's got it's either the opener or the closer that's where you've got to put that song especially the way they play it right and then they go into you got lucky is the second song on the in the live performance at the wilton which again i was really blown away by how good that was not that i didn't think it would be but because it's not a song that you would it's, it's almost like don't come around here no more right where because it's so synthy and it's got a electronic drum and it's got a very specific feel on the record you wonder are you going to get that across well what you do you just change it and you just make it more of a rock and roll song you know it's so good i was going to say too like i found it one of the things i found completely galling with the album was how good it ain't nothing to me is it's like what the just in terms of performance i think it's honestly probably one of the best two or three performances musically on the whole album it's so like it's so tight and you've got that ridiculous dirty sound that Mike licks in on the solo and I'm kind of curious I'm going to try and find the DVD because I want to see what he's playing there because that doesn't sound like a Fender it doesn't sound like one of his it's definitely a, a Ricky it sounds like a Gibson and I know that Mike does play Gibsons here and there but I don't remember seeing him play one live much so I'm going to try and dig that out and find out so I was like no, I, I, listening to this I do want to see the, the live I don't think I saw the live I think it's on VHS, right? There's yeah. No, it's no not DVD. on DVD. Uh, so it's probably going to be difficult to find yeah. uh, in any normal normal way. Well, I I mean, I did look just out of interest because I'm going to, obviously I'm going to buy it, but I did look on the, um, you know, the, let's call it the distributed internet backup system to see if yeah. there was a, a rip of it laying around. There's nothing. I couldn't find anything anywhere. And there are, there are a few songs on YouTube 
um, but nothing nothing comprehensive. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be picking it up. And I'll have to dig out a v- VHS player, I think, or get it digitized yeah, that- or something. So you're going to have to buy the VHS and a VHS a VCR. Yeah, yeah. You have to buy both. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's this place in town. There's all these places you do. You know, they'll, they'll convert your wedding video. You know, for, for yeah. those of us who got married when there was still VHS. Yes. Which I did. Um, we had to get it digitized. I'll just take it there. I don't think I'll bother buying a player. So So then the, the, the fourth track was Don't Do Me Like That, which we didn't get a version of that here. There was a live version on the Refugee Deluxe. Uh, Dan the Torpedoes deluxe version um, but that's I mean that's one of my favorite songs so the fact that it was excluded is a little annoying yeah uh, I really like this version of Waiting yeah so good uh, they if I remember correctly made it it was just kind of Tom and I don't know if it was him on the guitar but it was just Tom on the guitar for a while Yeah, and then they really kicked in uh, later on into the full song which and is it very go- effective. And it goes longer because it's that it's clever, right? It's the waiting. So they're making you wait for it. Because usually if an artist does that, they'll do either the first verse or do a bit of an intro, an extended intro, or do the first verse, and then the band comes in on the chorus. Or they'll do a verse and a chorus, and then the band comes in. But we get, I think it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And it's after, it might even be after the bridge or right on the bridge where the band comes in. I can't remember exactly, but it, it's a very, again, it's a really bold way to do it right because that song in a full arrangement is so good and i was going to just mention quickly um the version of southern accents which was the we'll talk about the the two that come before but southern accents was the ninth song in the playlist this is one where i think there's about two or three better versions of southern accents live than this and it doesn't get anywhere near the gainesville version and i think part of it is that the, the added guitar at the beginning it's a bit jarring. I found that a bit, it was a bit much. It sort of, it was a bit busy where Southern accents in it, in its best sort of moments is that simplicity and that sort of stark beauty where that took away a little bit from it. So I'm not too sure. Maybe, maybe it was the cocaine thing again. Who knows? Yeah. So it was the waiting. I need to know. Don't come around here no more spike and then Southern accents. So that's yeah. a good stretch of songs. We didn't get uh, don't come around here no more on this as either. And I, yeah. you know, I don't think there's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a officially released version of live version of don't come around here no more on spotify for for sure i, I think uh i don't think so i think <laughs> but no, uh no i don't think there is there is there is a uh live um version of it off of off oh of there's live there's... live at the coliseum radio broadcast on spotify if people want to look that up yeah um it they do have a live version there which is it's pretty good but the sound on the whole recording isn't the greatest so just be warned yeah, and there's a few of those kicking around that they have official releases, but they're bootlegs, right? So they're, you know, it's probably just recorded straight off the board. They've not done a ton of mixing or mastering on them or, or fixing anything. So it is what it is. And, you know, again, a, a certain vintage of music fan, bootlegs were the holy grail, man. Like that was you. That's what you wanted. Like I remember picking up Queen live at, um, I think it was a, Jesus, what was the Rainbow 74 gig? And I, f- I found that on a, a an old tape cassette on the back of a shelf at, in some record store, and that was my first exposure to bootleg. So, getting that feel, I think I think it's fine. But I didn't include any of those in my playlist just because sonically they don't tend to mesh quite as well. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that it's even on. There's like a, there's like five of them on. If you just do Tom Petty Live, you'll yeah, and you scroll down, you'll start to find them. But it's interesting that they're on Spotify as you know as bootlegs or however they were released. Yeah. Um, what the what the rules are regarding that but it's nice to have them just to get a snapshot of the, of the band at different times so yeah, he said don't come around here no more spike southern accents and rebels so they in the in the set list they put all four southern accent songs in sequence or sort of in 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 order so that was i think that's again that's an interesting way to to do that and the version of spike is on the original is quite long so i think it's about a seven minute seven minutes or so so that's um, a lot of time. To, that's a lot of time to spend on that song. <laughs> well, because and again, though, it's that thing of that song over the years, it developed and it got longer because Tom would the way he would introduce it would get longer and longer and longer. And he'd tell the story for longer, right, to build it up. So again, it's that it goes back to a little bit what we were talking about with Shout, where it, that performative element of it doesn't always come across if you're not in the room. It's like comedy, right? Comedy doesn't always work if you listen to it afterwards because you need to sort of be in the room to get the energy and you need the context of what's happened before and all those things. So I think that's, you know, maybe another reason why they didn't include it. 
so after rebels they went with uh, breakdown and refugee to close the main set and then uh they did three covers in the encore a four song encore a little bit of soul by the little darlings so you want to be a rock and roll star by the birds obviously uh make it better forget about me which is their own track uh, a single and that which is funny that they used that in an encore I know. Uh, after, and I don't know when Tom decided that it was quote unquote <laughs> trash, uh, but uh, it's funny to see uh, that as an encore and then route, uh, route 66, route 66, a uh, Bobby Troop cover uh, to close the, at least this is what set list uh, yeah. FM says about the, uh, of the set list for that, for that night and for, for the other night, the night earlier too. So I wonder if that, if you said it was, this was just recorded from this, this one show, you know, I wonder if the night before was kind of a rehearsal for the show, but they should have really been recording both nights to, to cover themselves. Yeah. And if you go to livepetty.com, um, which has all the, the, again, the bootlegs, there is a bootleg from, from the Wilton. Um, so the, it doesn't have the, the encore, but the main set list is definitely hundred percent accurate. So I would expect that the oh, okay. set list is, is correct. So, yeah. Now, could I take a slight detour here? I wanted to, um, I noticed when I was looking at this tour that on the August 5th, uh, the day before they went up to Will Turn for their August 6th show, then obviously the one they recorded on the 7th, they played the Pacific Amphitheater, which is roughly 15 minutes from my house. Oh, nice. Uh, and I wanted to just run down this because the set list is a little bit different. I just wanted to run it down for you because it's yeah. pretty, to me, it looks pretty epic. Uh, American Girl, Listen to Her Heart to open, Dogs on the Run, You Got Lucky. It ain't nothing to me. Don't do me like that. The waiting. I need to know the best of everything. Change of heart. Don't come around here no more. And then spike Southern accents uh, and rebels breakdown and then refugee. And then they went into their encore, a little bit of soul. So you want to be a rock and roll star and then closed with uh, make it better. Forget about me. And I, a couple things jumped out at me is just that this is, this would have been an amazing. Oh God. <laughs> show to see i mean i wasn't anywhere near uh costa mesa in 1985 i was 12 years old living <laughs> in wisconsin but this would have been a wonderful you know just set list to see and then again i i think it's hilarious that they close with make it better forget about me that's a uh, wild tom, decision wild yeah, decision tom, hey tom decided he didn't like it uh at some point he must have liked it at that point <laughs> uh but you know to hear the best of everything and change of heart uh not often played live uh dogs on the run yeah. uh that, that would have been a really good uh show to see well you look at that six I'm, i just pulled it up too so that 16 that could have been your live album right there yeah i mean what a track listing that is yeah it's, it's absolutely phenomenal and they did what so five songs from southern accents on that one because you throw dogs in the run into the well, mix. best of everything as well so best of everything in uh, there yeah so six. Oh, it ain't nothing to me as well sorry one two three four seven. five six seven make it better Seven make, of the make nine. It better as well. Yeah. So eight if you include the encore, right? So <laughs> what's the only the only one missing is what are we what's the only one we're missing here? Oh, well, yeah, of course, Mary's new car, because why the hell would you play that live? <laughs> I wonder if like only if, I, Mary, only if Mary was there, <laughs> would you play I, that live? I wonder if because sometimes, you know, a song gets dropped from a set list because it's just not landing and people are not digging it or whatever. So maybe make it better. Just it, that was like Oh man, we're closing with this and everyone's left before we got to the end of the course. <laughs> yeah, you could have, uh, you know, you could close with obviously with Refugee or American Girl. Yeah, uh, that's what he typically would close with. Sometimes he would uh, play that, play one of those two second to last and then play a quiet song at the end if he was in that sort of mood. And I think that yeah. was more, he just decided he was going to play a quiet song and he did, it wasn't even on the set list. Yeah. Uh, but very typically he would close or they would close his main set with refugee and then close the show with American girl. That seemed to be like the, the highs yeah. that he wanted to leave each set with. When I believe I, you know, to show my, my football knowledge, I believe they call that an audible, don't they? When the, you know, someone That's just makes it, makes a call on the field and they say, okay, well, this is what we call, but we're going to change it up. And I think the heartbreakers were, you know, apart from on certain tours, I think they were, I think that would happen a lot. I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing that happened a lot because Tom, you know, if you feel in the energy, they well, let's keep playing. Let's do a couple more. Certainly earlier, I think, in the career, uh, I think yeah. towards the end of the career, they were stuck to their set list, at least, uh, even though that would change sometimes night to night. But uh, I think the audibles happened earlier in his career. When you also get, you know, you're locked in with with a bigger production. When you're doing the 40th anniversary tour, you're doing some, especially something like when you've got this big set with the, the Southern Accents tour, 
you've got lighting cues and you've got a lot of other stuff that's going on to manage that performance other than just the guys on stage. So you, you've got to be a little bit respectful of, you know, the people working behind the scenes to make sure everything's working. So, but anyways, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, what, I, that's cool. what I meant. And those big arena and the big amphitheater tours, yeah. like my son got a set list from the, uh, a copy of the set list from the, the 40th anniversary. And it was, you know, they played yeah. exactly what uh, they said they were gonna play. But certainly the Fillmore, there was all sorts of, oh, <laughs> that was the 97. So that was later <laughs> in his career, but there was all sorts of, uh, audibles being being played there yeah and i mean when we, when we get to the film more I've, I've talked to other people about that other fans of other bands and it, it really is a unique situation like lots of bands do residencies you know in vegas and those kinds of things but that one was that's unique and i haven't still haven't pulled how many songs they played during that run because i'll bet you it's you'd be looking at probably over 100 songs or it must be somewhere close to that which is bananas like most bands can't rehearse and get up to performance standard that many songs for you know that sort of a run so very very cool um okay well should we get into so we're going to change things up dear listeners and we're the producer for a day here we're not going to resequence this album um the thing that john wanted to do because he's the king of tom petty playlists as we have already established um is just put together our ideal live album to this point um and so yeah the I, the way i approach this john i mean we had this conversation i've only gone for things that were recorded up to 1985 so obviously there were songs that were released up to 1985 but i think that you took a slightly different tack and just songs that were released up to 95 but they were recorded in let's say at the Fillmore. then you've sort of gone with that version so all right all right so and this is what I would push for if I was in charge of this back then when I was 12. And I don't think, I don't think he would have, Tom would have gone for it because, you know, it's, there's such a good cover band. I mean, they love playing covers and it's such a big part of their show. They probably would want to have at least two or three, if not more in this, yeah, uh, in this collection. But I, I looked at it like, okay, I think on a double LP, you have room for 18 songs. So I basically went with that. I think you could, uh, Maybe it'd be kind of close on the time limit on some of it, but I think they could they could have made it work. Uh, so I think you, I, what I would have done and what I would have pushed for is you have uh, six six albums. Let's do like we won't necessarily call it a best of. I think artists kind of bristle at the idea of a greatest hits in the middle of their career because they feel like it's yeah. something that artists do after their careers are basically over. But you know, I think some bands have gone through at, at times and have done an effective job of doing like a best of so far, just recognizing that they're, you know, you're only seven years into your career, you're not anywhere near the end. Yeah. But this could have been a really good opportunity to 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 release an epic collection of his best or their best yeah. uh, music and in a way that would bring in younger fans and really develop a whole new generation. Of, of fans much like the greatest hits album did uh later on in his career like that that really brought in a lot of college fans yeah uh, college age fans at that point in his career so i would have pushed for the 13 biggest hits and that would be american girl breakdown i need to know listen to her heart don't do me like that refugee here comes my girl i'm going to include even the losers even though it wasn't released as a single it was getting lots of air, radio airplay and it was considered a greatest hit for the greatest yeah. hits compilation uh, the waiting, uh, a woman in love. It's not me. Uh, you got lucky. Don't come around here no more. And rebels. So that's thirteen of the eighteen spots right there with the, the big singles. And I did exclude a few of the minor singles that maybe I'm not as fond of, uh, including uh, "Make It Better." Forget about, <laughs> forget about <laughs> me. Uh, I think "Change of Heart." You could make a case for. Uh, right. But then I then I thought, okay, showcase those mid tempo ballads that we have talked about uh over the over the course of several podcasts uh include a live version of the wild one forever uh include a, a live version of surrender which they weren't really able to get down for the studio but they did record it i believe in 85 and that that shows up on the live anthology yeah uh include this version of insider with stevie nicks uh straight into darkness include a version of that and then and include a version of Southern accents as well. And I think those 18 songs, whatever order, uh, you know, you, maybe you put these last five, you put one on each side with two on one of the sides and kind of sprinkle in all the hits throughout and you have a epic 
something that 12 year old John Paulson would have bought and just totally got into him. And then at some point would have gone back and bought all the uh, yep. studio albums to really dig into to Tom's career. And I think there's a couple that were tough and it's just, uh, you know, the change of heart. I would, there was no live version available yet uh, right. released for me to look at or listen to and uh, the best of everything. So, you know, they were, they were playing that on this tour. I would love to hear live versions of that from, from 85 uh, to see if maybe that replaces one of these other, maybe replaces surrender or something. Um, but I think that that they would never have gone for it because they love covers when they play live and they, if they want yep. this to replicate a live show, then um, they would want covers on it. But if you want it to sell a ton of albums and maybe go five times platinum and <laughs> drive a bunch of sales and new fans to your shows, then yeah. this would have been a, a really a wild way to do it. That's interesting. Quickly, just do you want to, I'm assuming you've got a Spotify playlist. I do. It's not in order and uh, oh, okay. yet, but it's uh, you know I definitely have the 18 down and um, okay. And what uh, one of the problems is that one of the live versions is of "Don't Come Around Here" is is of "Don't Come Around Here No More" and it's from that uh, radio show that doesn't okay. sound as good. All the other stuff was uh, released officially by by Petty and his uh, estate. Okay. Well, we'll put that together. And we'll send it out so people can listen to it. So I went to, I mean, you know, this is the nerd thing, right? I went to Great Pains. I basically thought, well, I'm with a double album. So I've got four sides. So I sequenced for four sides, check length for four sides. I made sure that everything flowed. And then again, like you do, you want to make sure you've got this blend of, okay, well, what would, how would it flow within a concert? And how would you make that work? So disc one, side one, open with Refugee, live at the Wilton. Just like I said, I think that's just a phenomenal live version of that song. Rip straight into I Need to Know, live at the Wilton. Let's keep the pace up. Even the losers live off the anthology because uh, again, it's just it's such a great version of that song. And then finish side one with breakdown live at the Wilton. So they'd like open up really, really strong. Get those those like I said, if you if you're selling this to people who are going to sort of latch onto Tom Petty, you're going to hook him with that that first side. Side two open with the waiting live at the Wilton. It's a little bit slower, so we then we can open you know the the, the flip side of uh, side B of record one can open with that song. I also went with the wild one forever. Because again, I think it's a, it's a deep cut that really works um, on this side, as you'll see. Again, Night Watchman, it's actually, this is mainly deep cuts on this side. Uh, Night Watchman and Spike, I've got. So side B is The Waiting, The Wild One Forever, Night Watchman and Spike. Because I think that's, again, if you're thinking about a Tom Petty concert, they're going to throw a few of those in. And they're probably going to throw them in round about this part of the show, I think. Or if we've, we've burned your faces off with our with four huge hits, now we're going to sort of drop you in something for the, for the hardcore fans. Um, take side two off the turntable. Go get the next disc, put side one on. Listen to a heart. Um, yeah, at the record plant from uh, American Treasure. Needles and Pins and Insider. I'm including there definitely because I think those two just dovetail so well and they show that relationship between Tom and Stevie beautifully. Um, and then finish that side with Fooled Again. I don't like it. And that is the one that I picked from that, um, that New York gig. So the sound quality isn't quite as good. Um, and the crowd noise is obviously way, way different because they're in a small room there right, as opposed to a, you know an 1800-seater. And then the last side of the album, A Woman in Love, It's Not Me. Don't Do Me Like That from the from the Odeon, um, from the Damn the Torpedoes uh, Deluxe Edition, Straight Into Darkness, I think is my second last, and then American Girl Live. So I think that the encore there, if we're thinking about it, because I've only gone 16, because I was paying attention, very close attention to the time constraints. Um, I think you could almost sort of treat that as, you know, there's going to be other songs in this set, but Don't Do Me Like That, Straight Into Darkness, American Girl, that's my encore. That's what I was sort of thinking about in my brain is the last three songs. I think, man, you, that would be so killer. And I've listened to it. When you listen to it in sequence, I think it works. I think it works. I think it flows. So I'm really curious when you send me your playlist now. I'm, that's what I always like doing is obviously listen to them in sequence. I know that you pay a lot of attention to that when you're putting these things together. So I'm curious how you're going to how you gonna land them. So I did, I did uh, do the exact same thing for my Wildflowers too. So, yeah. you know, looking at it, even a side by side, you know, an album side by side, but also just the whole CD, uh, how it would flow. So that, that's, I didn't have time to do that with this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to look at it like a retro, you know, a career retrospective to this point, and then we yeah. figure out the, the track order uh, after that. But that sounds like a really good, I, I do want to listen to your your sequence now yeah. after you you sold it. You sold it pretty well there, Kevin. <laughs> I'll send you the link for sure. And it's funny too, because we were talking about Surrender. I originally had that on there. I think in place of Fooled Again, because 
just because of that quality. But again, I fooled against such a great live track and that version's really, really good. I thought, well, I'll include that on there. And then I also didn't, I, I put needles and pins on there because again, just because those two, they just work so well and Stevie's just on, on those songs. But I wasn't, I didn't want to put too many covers on there because I want to, I want to listen to Tom Petty. You know, yeah. I like covers. I love them, but I like them more when I go watch them live, which again, it's brilliant having those in the film more because you get this, it's, it really is an important snapshot of who that band was at that time. But if I'm going to go see a Tom Petty concert, I don't necessarily want to hear five covers. I want, because then you're taking away, maybe you're not going to play Refugee, you're going to play a cover. Maybe you're not going to play, God forbid, American Girl, and now we get a cover. So I don't know. It's been a bit selfish, but that was my reason. Yeah, it, it definitely got going to see him or see them. I always say, you know, yeah. Tom, because, but like seeing the band and they, they get into covers and you know, they're going to play them, but you're like, and then by the end of the show, you're like, Oh, they didn't play the waiting or Oh, they yeah. didn't play. Here comes my girl. They could have played here or listened to her heart. And it's just yeah. like, they usually, they always put on a great show. I don't say usually they always put on a great show, Yeah. but it was always like that. Oh, if they just, you know, I don't need to hear a Chuck Berry song. Yeah. Even though they have a ton of fun with it. I want to hear, listen to her heart, or I want to hear the waiting or, you know, some of these, they're, they're big hits. They're yeah. minor hits for him or medium sized hits for him that he would not always include on his, on his set lists. And I, he understood that. I think on the 40th anniversary tour, it was really very greatest hits heavy. Um, probably yeah. wasn't sure if they were going to do another big tour like that again. Um, but certainly throughout the years, it was, you know, it was always in that, in that, you know, that kind of that track five to 10 range where, okay, we've, we've played a few hits to start and uh, we're going to throw a few covers at you yeah. or minor hits at you and then, or just minor songs, album cuts, and then get back to the, the, you know, mid to late set, which was always pretty epic. I mean, by the time he had released wildflowers, he had so many hits, recognizable songs to, pull from that you couldn't yeah. satisfy everybody in the uh in in the, in the audience because they just there's always going to be favorites that are left off the, the set list of course yeah i mean the catalog yes like you said by that point the catalog's ridiculous and there's probably you could play you could have played a 20 song set of deep cuts and everyone would have gone home happy that's how good that catalog was by that point it's the same thing like you know when i, I went and saw you two here years ago and years and years ago now and left, like, really enjoyed the show. But then afterwards in the hotel, thinking, oh, man, they didn't do this one. Oh, they didn't do that one. I would have loved to hear this one. So did you ever, when you saw him live, were you ever waiting for a song that they didn't play? Or was it just always afterwards, you just thought, oh, they didn't play the waiting. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Uh, I think I, there's, you go in, you hope that you hear your favorites. Uh, yeah. And I, but I didn't, I didn't find myself, because he had, especially, after full moon fever while you know uh into the great white open uh wildflowers there's just so many hits that you're hitting you're getting you're getting songs you like like yeah. repetitive like you're getting them like and you're not thinking about oh i wish he would play this the only time that i uh really went into want, you know, a, a certain show wanting to hear a song was the 40th anniversary tour i saw right. that he was uh occasionally playing walls uh, from the She's the One soundtrack, which is one of my favorite songs of his, if not my favorite song of his. I tweeted at Tom Petty and said, I really hope that, uh, you know, you play Walls, yeah. uh, you know, at, at the show in Milwaukee. <laughs> and uh, he, came, he came out and he played, he, he opened it. He goes, this one's by request, my request. And he played Walls. And I, you know, I like to think that somebody in his camp saw my tweet and said, hey, play, play Walls tonight uh yeah for for four for four john <laughs> uh but uh you know who knows what what happened there but uh you know that that was probably and i was like a little teary because it was like you know yeah. you, you at that point you don't know how many times you're going to see him uh see them play again and uh so yeah for him to play that that other other than that i don't really think because you know you're going to get refugee you know you're going to get american girl and i think i yeah. said this uh during the um down the torpedoes pod but you know, I heard Refugees so many times and it's not my favorite of his hits. Like it's yeah. a great song, but I heard you heard it at every show. And I was always like, well, maybe I could, you know, I'd rather hear, here comes my girl or uh, listen to her heart or don't do me like that, especially. So yeah. there were times where I was just like, all right, you don't have to live like a refugee. <laughs> and you're kind of like, eh. but the crowd loves it. And, yeah. you know, the energy is amazing. So I think that would, that pretty much sums up, uh, you know, it was never, it was never like, oh, I want to hear this. And I didn't hear it. It, 
there's certain bands, maybe like a Weezer, right? Maybe Cake, Cake, or somebody like that that I really like. And you you want to hear this specific minor hit or medium hit, and you think they might play it, and then yeah. you're kind of waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. You never get it, but that never really happened with Tom. Yeah, if I was going to see Cake and they didn't play Comfort Eagle, I'd be disappointed when I left. Right? I mean, I'm probably I don't know if they do because that's such a weird song. I don't know if they do play that one live. Right? So. They do sometimes. They have a very varied uh, playlist, but this is not a cake podcast. Although I'd be interested <laughs> in doing a cake podcast if you ever, if you ever wanted to. <laughs> be good one to dig into. But it is that thing, like you said, I think because I'm the same. Like I've seen Foo Fighters have a uh, Foo Fighters four times. I don't need to. I don't need to see Everlong Life. Like it's a great song, but but it's the energy in the room, and it's it's those little moments where they do change just a little bit of it, or you know, Mike might take a bit of an extra solo or whatever it might be being in the room when you listen to it with a bunch of people who's not the same bunch of people you listened to it the last time. I think, you know, it makes it okay. Right. It makes it a little bit more sort of, I still enjoyed it. And again, I think it's, tough. I think it's really tough, especially you get to where, where Tom was at the end of his career. It's really tough to make a set list. It has to be like to, oh. to, to, to play stuff that you also want to play and you haven't played a million times. Yep. Um, but then also satisfy the audience and then also vary things up enough from the last tour or maybe the last two tours that somebody might have come to see you on all of them. Like, yeah. And then maybe what you, you know, maybe what you played in Milwaukee, you know, the last two times, because those are probably the same fans that are coming back to see you. Do they want to hear instead of listen to her heart? Should we play Here Comes My Girl? Like, it's got to be a lot of uh, cajoling and uh, difficulty to try to, especially when you have that much quality in your discography. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Most fans, like you were talking about earlier about that three album run, you talk about Integrate Wide, uh, Full Moon Fever, Integrate Wide Open, Wildflowers. That could you could just pull from that those three albums easily, and easily. have and have them be mainly hits. That's how good that three album run was. Well, there was five singles from Full Moon Fever, and they all charted. Like there's, yeah. there you go. You can just build your set off those three albums. So when you add in the other thirteen, plus some Wilburys, plus the covers, like geez, I mean, it's no wonder they had so much trouble doing it. Well, yeah, who knows what they, you know, if they did, I mean, I, you probably want, I'd love to, that, that's the stuff that fascinates me is like, what is the meeting like? Like, yeah. okay, what are we playing on this tour? And they do like they, and it's 40th anniversary tour. They did switch up some songs here and there. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was always, you know, two shows in the same region or the same city. Right. They might've switched things up because people come to both shows. Um, but, or maybe they just get sick of playing the exact same set list. Oh, as well, that might get a little tiresome. Yeah, I mean, a band like the Heartbreakers, you know they would. They're a live band. They don't want to go and play. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're not, you know, Iron Maiden when they tour now. It's the greatest. It's, it's the same set pretty much all the way through. But again, that's a production thing too. But but no, I mean, it, of course you want to go out there and play. For, for, you've got to have fun because if you're not having fun, that's going to come across the audience. We've both, I'm sure we've both seen live bands where you think, I don't buy a second of this. They're not enjoying themselves at all up there, right? You know, it's... So, I, yeah, and it, I, I suspect that and it would be interesting to ask. I, I certainly later on, I, I get the feeling that Tom probably dictated most of that, but I, I, I'm sure there would have been sort of conversations about, okay, we've got these, you know, if we're doing 18 songs on, was it 18 or something on the 40th anniversary? We're going to keep 15 locked in for sure. These ones we're definitely going to do because then we can do a really good job and give people what they come to see. Those other three spots, maybe then it's like, well, Ben, what, you know, what do you, what should we play? Or, or Mike, is there something that you, we haven't played in a while or whatever it might be? I think that would be, that's what I imagine that process would probably look like. I can't see it being too democratic because Tom was the band leader, right? I mean, that was very a clear delineation between sort of the, running the band. That was Tom. He did that. Yeah, they played 18. Um, in the final show, Rocking Around With You, Mary Jane's Last Dance, You Don't Know who, what it, How It Feels, Forgotten Man, I Won't Back Down, Free Fallen, Breakdown, Don't Come Around Here No More, It's Good To Be King, Crawling Back To You, Wildflowers, Learning, learning To Fly, You're So Bad, I should have known it. Refugee running down a dream to close the main set, which is running down a dream. We haven't, we haven't talked about that album yeah. yet, uh, but that's a, that was always a closer too. Uh, and then you wreck me and American girl to, to close the the show in his career. That is just, it's a staggering set of songs. And again, like you said, there's, there's another 18 that if you yeah, put a totally different sure. 18, you'd say exactly the same thing. You'd be like, wow, what a set that is, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's no listen to her heart. There's no here comes my girl. There's no the waiting. Uh, don't do me like that. Just off the top of my head, just even the losers. Like, yes. Even the losers. <laughs> uh, like it's it's incredible the depth of his catalog. Yeah. 
it's bizarre. Yeah, I, we've talked about it, I think, probably ad nauseum now, and people are going to get bored, but I still go back to... I don't know another artist who... You know, I mean, the Beatles, but the Beatles didn't have as many albums. They didn't do it for as long. That had that sustained level of just quality all the way through with no real... I mean, Southern Accents Light Me Up Bad Enough, again, was a, that was a little bit of a wobble in terms of that, but that was more to do with trying to shake things up and trying to do something different than it was actually a, a drop in Tom's ability to write songs. There's a lot of other influences came to bear there, but barring those two albums, and even on those albums, some great songs, but barring those two albums, the consistency of those albums, it's just, I, I don't know another artist who's ever had that. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned the wobbles. The, the drugs might have had something to do with it. And I think Tom For sure. that as well. It's like he, they just weren't in the right headspace. And anytime you're ingesting large amounts of drugs, then yeah. it's usually not going to work out great for your creativity. I yeah. mean, I guess it worked for the Beatles, <laughs> their LSD experiences, but I don't know. I think it depends, like, on, I, the, I think it, that depends on the drugs too, right? <laughs> yeah, that messed with his creative process, I think. And that's why we got some wobbles. Maybe some decisions were made that, uh, he 100%. wouldn't have made if he would, you know, a little more clear-headed. Yeah, I mean, so this is the end of season six now, and into season seven, I'm going to be talking about Let Me Up, I've Had Enough. And again, there's a decision there not to bring in an outside producer that I'm going to end up talking about that a lot on that album, I know, because that's just, it's almost always a bad decision. Almost always. Not many people can produce their own record really, really well because you don't have anyone curbing your excesses. You don't have anyone saying, actually, you could do that better. You know, so there's like you said, those decisions are whatever they are. But again, what's the next album that comes out of that? Well, it's Full Moon Fever. So it was, I think the 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 dip and sort of the push back into, well, I need to try something totally different now. I'll go work with Jeff Lynn. And then on from there, then it's just gravy all the way out, right? So oh, we are getting so close to the stretch that I'm really excited to talk about with yeah. full moon fever into the great wide open the greatest hits album wildflower she's the one echo this is a, a wonderful run of of albums for him in every way songwriting's great the musicianship's great the production on those albums is superb yeah i can't um when i made the first one because remember when i started the podcast i, like, well, I really want to get to hard promises because i love that album and i was like yeah but look forward and look what i've got like when i get to wildflowers geez that might that might, might take me a year because i've got so much to talk about on that album so might be a double episode. Okay, so that's that's Pack Up the Plantation. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to talk about. And it was good fun going back and listening to it because it's not an album I listen to a ton. I think like you, I've got my sort of live playlist that I listen to a little bit more because, um, you know, there's certain songs on Pack Up the Plantation that I could take or leave more or less um, and some stuff that I that isn't on there that I like listening to. But going back and listening to it again and thinking about it in the context of it's 85 and they've done Southern Accents and there's all this stuff going on and so they bring the horns in and then you get these two, these these weird outcuts. So it was a lot of fun to go back and listen to it. And I don't think it, you know, as as a flow, as a live album, I don't think it is. I think maybe I was, I dare say, maybe a little bit better. But I think it's that great snapshot of where the Heartbreakers were and who they were at that time. Yeah, and they did a pretty good job, even though they ended up splicing together five shows, I think. Yeah. total uh it sounded like it could be from the same show so they did at yep. least you know at least look at that and uh you know i think it was it was it made sense to bring in the stevie tracks because those are so good uh, two of my three highlights uh yeah for her uh, on uh needles and pins and insider and it, it served the purpose i think it's just the i don't know if they call it the obligatory live album um, but this does feel like they felt like it was time. Yeah. I, I would have pitched something else as I mentioned, but you know, it does show how great they were as a live band and, and the covers, certainly they put their own flair on most of them and, uh, just a really, really, really strong live band. I think this album proves that. Okay. Well, you know what folks, I think that's probably enough for this week. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. Again, I wasn't too sure what I was going to do with Pack Up the Plantation. So I was very happy when John suggested that we just get online and, and hash it out. And luckily it worked out that we both had time this week. So it'll be going out at the end of season six and then we'll start with season seven. So um, don't forget to go follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And also go check out the Deep Dive Podcast Network at Deep Dive Podnet because there's a ton of stuff on there that you might like. Uh, John, where can our listeners find you? Uh, Twitter. Uh, four for four underscore John, the number four F O R, the number score, or number four underscore John. And that's only if you want uh, either my fantasy football takes or uh, my movie TV 
music picks, which I sometimes will put on Twitter as well. Deadly. Yeah, you should go check out Johnny's. He's a superstar in that world. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about the first song on Let Me Up Brackets I've Had Enough, Jamming Me. Bye-bye.